0: All right, Josh Smith here, live at my flat five studios. My guest today is someone I'm literally an enormous fan of. I don't think I've even told you this, but the first time I saw you play was on my very first national tour. I was 16 years old touring the States and we had an off night. We were staying around DC and you were playing either. It was like the Bayou or the eight x ten someplace like that uh, trio. And it was the first time I saw you play and I just I blew my mind you know and oh, so I bought here. your records after that and I've you know listened to you most of my life man and uh the fact that we're bros and I could call you up is pretty cool to me you know and <laughs> get I, out. I don't know many people who have the pocket that you have and it's been inspiring to me since the beginning And your story is also really really interesting to me you know starting in rhode island and then going to the bay area the commune and and you know the the hippie side of your story the guys that you were around taking lessons from satch ending up on such an original thing that you've you've ended up doing it it's really mind-blowing to me and i can't wait to dive into your story but dude mostly i'm just an enormous fan thank you for doing this everyone welcome charlie hunter
1: Oh, man, thanks for having me. Well, honestly, man, no bullshitting right back at you, man. When I discovered what you were doing, I think I I heard you playing, I think, was it with Raphael Sadiq? Am I right about that? Maybe, yeah, okay. yeah, for sure. I saw you, and I was like, this is the shit right here. This is how you do this, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and I remember thinking, like, yeah, man, that's, like, real fucking tone right there. And real soul and real... And, but you could chop it up, of course. But that was just... That was an afterthought. That wasn't the important part of, of what you're doing. I was like, yeah, this is the language right here, man. The vernacular, the, the, what I always try to tell people is about guitar is like, look, you gotta seek people out that, yeah, you, you you should listen to Joe Pass. You should listen to Wes Montgomery. You should listen to Peter Bernstein, Kurt Rosenwinkel. Of course, they're masters, but guitar is a vernacular instrument. And you gotta, you gotta listen to the people. In my opinion, the shit that always moves me is, is people like you, like Kirk, Fletcher, um, you know, Ariel Pose, and all these people that now that I guess are kind of a little younger than me, but that you guys have that mix of the intellectual and the visceral. (laughs) Right. You know, you have the vernacular, but if, if you have to play through some serious changes, you're playing through some serious changes. You know what I mean? Anyhow.
0: Thanks, man. Well, that means a lot to me coming from you <laughs> because it's always, you know, I, I, I have that weird obsessive goal. Literally, my top goal was always no matter how much more I learn or how more sophisticated I get as a player, technique-wise, harmony-wise, whatever, that I always still sound like that guy that I wanted to be when I was a kid, which was magic sam or otis rush or bb king stevie albert know, i want to feel like that because that's the stuff that just nails me you know and always has so i appreciate you saying that
1: (laughs) yeah but you hear it though man and and that's the most important part because that means that it's coming through that the real shit is coming through you know um the stuff that whatever it is that that really hit you when you were young and made you choose this absurd path in life <laughs> yes yeah, exactly. exactly.
0: well speaking of that i start all these by asking everybody you know a little bit about the very beginning so i know i don't know how musical your family was as far as playing but i think that i read your mom repaired guitars you know so is that is that yeah. how the guitar ended up in your hands the first time uh, you know for sure right
1: yeah, and and I was didn't want to play guitar, man. I was I wanted to play drums, you know. Yeah. But she repaired guitars, you know. We she was part of that whole Greenwich Village folk thing, mm. and, and my father was as well. Now I didn't grow up with my father. I grew up with with my mom and my sister, mm. but they were part of that whole thing, and also the political thing, like the lefty political thing. You know, the whole yeah. WBAI. Like my father's oh, yeah. claim to fame was he his. He had two claims to fame. One was, he was actually a pretty good banjo player and guitar player, actually. And uh, he, his running partner was Dave Van Ronk. You know Dave Van Ronk?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: So yes. that was like his running partner with the, they did all the music stuff and they uh, and they did the Trotskyite stuff and they did the other stuff as well, right? Okay. <laughs> so, and then my mom was in that whole Greenwich Village scene. Her roommate was Maria Muldar, right? They were like, always hanging in Alan Block. Yeah, Yeah, and Alan Block, the father of Rory, who was the guy who made all the sandals and had that kind of place that was kind of the nexus of that Greenwich Village folk scene, was like her homie as well. And so she spent, crazy enough, you know, she's this, you know, New York, you know, cosmopolitan, rootless cosmopolitan New York Jew who spent all her time as a young woman around like Reverend Gary Davis, Mississippi John Hurt, Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, uh, Josh White, uh, and, uh, you know, Dave Van Ronk. Again, it's just like this this whole thing and Taj Mahal, who I grew up with one of Taj's kids, you know. Um, So that whole thing was a big part of my reality. Like that music was on all the time. That kind of whatever you want to call that culture, that kind of like lefty blues music kind of political... I don't know it's it's almost not even a marxist dialectic it's it's like a it's like a it's like a blind blake dialectic you know what i mean (laughs) so anyway we were all over we lived in a school bus and we drove around the country for like i mean five or six years i I don't know i mean it was a while and then of course where do people like that end up in in the mid-70s they end up in berkeley california after like living on communes and doing all that stuff so She ended up getting a job at Subway Guitars, which you probably have been to
0: Uh
1: when you're on the road. So basically, I grew up in Subway Guitars as a little snot-nosed kid, either in Subway or like 10 blocks away was another place called Secondhand Guitars, which was where um, Joe Satriani taught guitar. Mm -hmm. So my friends and I, we would either be at Subway messing with the instruments until they kicked us out and sent us over to the other place or vice versa. Right. Yeah. You know, so anyway, so that's basically how it happened. Kind of like being surrounded by guitar knowledge and you don't know it, you know? Yeah.
0: That's amazing. I mean, I, I can relate. I, I had a music store. I could walk to from my house and yeah, I would be there most days after school until my parents got home from work. And it, it was great because there was a seven 11, a Little Caesar's, a baseball card and comic book store, and a music store in this strip mall. It was everything I ever needed. I would get a Slurpee, Why'd you ever crazy leave? bread, buy the newest Spider-Man and then go sit in the in the music store.
1: That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's like a dream. That's like a 13-year-old's dream right there, man. Exactly. Exactly. But you don't Except for me it, it was the X-Men buying the x-men comics
0: oh oh, i was buying x-men too i'm a i'm an enormous comic nerd like enormous oh (laughs) i have a huge comic collection (laughs) nice yeah but dude people i don't think people realize when it's going on i didn't the amount of knowledge i was gaining by osmosis just hanging in that music store at all times not even you know yes i was taking lessons at the beginning too and i was learning a lot and i was you know I was motivated so i was always working hard but just the amount of little pearls of wisdom that guys would come in the store guys who worked in the store just hanging around i i man, i think back on it now and it was like it was like you were soaking up just music without even knowing it
1: yeah yeah i agree man i i mean and, and when you're that age though you're not supposed to know it right of course I, yeah i guess not you know but those I worry for the this is going to sound shitty but I kind of worry for the younger generation yeah because they have and and I'm sure you have the same discussion like every time you do like one of those clinics or a master class I'm sure you have the same I I imagine you have a very similar point of view in that we learned in a very visceral way in really like a, a in the oral folk tradition way Mm -hmm. that had been passed down from generation to generation, crossing over ethnicities, crossing over religions, crossing over all these things. That's how we learned. You know, it makes me, it gives me goosebumps just to think about how we learned, you know, and then, and then like there are these kids and I'm sure you've seen them. They can come on your gig and play circles around you play circles Mm -hmm. around me and it's astonishing. Like if we had seen someone with that level of facility when we were kids, we probably would have just all of our acne would have exploded at one <laughs> at one time, you know. Yeah. But but these guys, but and I'm sure you notice the same thing because the way that they gained their knowledge was not the way that that we did. They gained their knowledge almost by uploading it. Yes. So it oftentimes just feels so foreign to me and it's no fault of theirs it's no it's no No. great accomplishment of ours it's just how the shit is rolling now you know
0: everybody uses what's available to them you know so these that's the situation that that we're in right now number one they have access to unlimited amounts of knowledge and information you know when i was a kid or when you were a kid and you were learning if you wanted to figure out what Wes was doing or whatever or learn how to apply the melodic minor scale, you had to go ask somebody. You know what I mean? You had to go sit down, have it explained to you, fumble through how to use it. Now I can go on YouTube and I'll be using it within 30 seconds. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it, it it's a just a different way, but even more than that, I think you're talking about there's no on the job or practical application. For these guys so they they grow technically in this way that's unparalleled now these days but you and i had the guys giving us stink eye all the time when we didn't know what we were doing and dude that was the most I, the biggest factor in my constant growth as a kid was fucking up getting a dirty look from an older seasoned musician and then never making that mistake again because i i wanted nothing but the glance like this from a guy that that said you did it that was great you know and they don't yeah. have that yeah yeah
1: yeah i mean it's it's true and and it's that on the job training thing like you're you're talking about um and and i feel for these guys and it's no fault of theirs you know they have guys like us being like you suck junior like what the fuck are you doing this is this is like it's you're you're playing is drier than a popcorn fart. Why? Why? You know, it's like they, their their reality. I mean, I think about my grandfather who was he died a couple years ago at 107, right? So think about what that guy lived through. Lived through, right? Like he's a New Yorker and he lived through like New York. He lived in on the upper like in in, in um, you know, uh, Washington Heights when there were still farms there. You know what I mean? Wow. Uh, I mean, but then you you think about all the stuff he saw and all the changes he saw, but man, compared to you and I and the generation that's 30 years younger than us, I think there's never been on the planet that much of a chasm.
0: Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. It's, it's so much faster now, generationally. <laughs> Everything moves exponentially faster. Yeah. 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 I'm curious so around that time when you're you know you you guys moved to berkeley and you're hanging out in the music stores i don't know when you start taking lessons from satch you had it sounds like you had a group of guys your age who were into like-minded stuff that you hung around with uh how much was that a factor in in the you know the amount of effort and in and you know pursuit of you know learning to play was was that a big part of it because i never had guys my age to hang around
1: yeah i mean it was some of both. Right. Because the guys that were my age, like at Berkeley High School, we had I mean, in Berkeley was a weird place, you know, like I was asking Christian McBride, like, you know, Philly, man, it was amazing because you guys always went to the high school. And he goes, you know, you Berkeley people are, are different. It's, it's like you guys, you have the groove, but then you also have this weird intellectual thing. And then you'll play some punk rock music. You know what I mean? And then, so basically Berkeley high at the time I went to it, like in the early eighties, the jazz band was like Dave Ellis and Josh Redman and um, Kenny white. I don't know if you play with Kenny white. He's a great drummer. He's he's in the LA area. Great drummer. So many killing musicians half of the digital underground went to Berkeley high school. Alex Skolnick was my, was a, Guy that we used to hang with all the time, Too Short used to come to Berkeley High School with his tapes to sell his tapes, and um, you had all these heavy duty like punk rock—I guess they called it hardcore back then—bands, and you had like people like Pharaoh Sanders lived in Berkeley would just be playing in the park. You know what I mean? So the younger people that I would hang with, there was so much guitar information, and like like you hang with Jay Lane, the dr- great drummer, mm. and. It was really interesting because my my inclination was like to be an asshole and try to find the music that i thought was the best shit and lord that over everyone else's shit and jay Lane was like nah you're wrong man you're wrong and, and he's like and he was right and forever he's like you're wrong man that's not look i'm we're gonna go see this country guy play and i'm gonna show you all the dope shit that he's got going on or you know we're gonna see this you know so there were so many people my age but it was like we didn't have like a very specific like agenda. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, everyone kind of liked different music and and you had to learn how to be like, oh, shoot, like, let's go see the, and there was a place in Berkeley then called Ruthie's Inn, which was on San Pablo. And it was historically, a, you know, it was a Chitlin' circuit club historically. So you could go see Albert King and, and Buddy Guy and like Coco Taylor and people like that there. And the dude who owned it, this guy, Wes Robinson, his son was a skater. And so this is like the early 80s and, it's, and and they wouldn't have anything going on like Monday through Thursday, right? Um, or Sunday through Thursday, whatever. And his son was like, Dad, I know all these cool bands you got to start booking in your place. So he started booking bands like Fishbone and Bad Brains and the Dead Kennedys and all this other like kind of, and the club was filled all the time, right? So all of this this stuff was going on around the same time and you had to kind of, but, but you would find, and and I found my niche in that I was really into like fifties music. And, and I was into, you know, guitar slim and well, of course, like you said, Magic Sam and and then Chuck Berry and a lot of the rockabilly stuff too. So Mm -hmm. I ended up getting gigs with people who were our age then, you know, who, who really knew how to play this shit. So, and like you said, like the older guy looking at you like this, you know, uh, and I definitely, I thought I was hot shit. And really I was almost medium, almost medium shit, you know, almost (laughs) mild. I was not spicy, you know, but, but anyway, we did have a group of people and um, it was really great because it was not just one thing that everyone was into. So you got a real knowledge base. I mean, I remember when one of my friends bought, the the message the grandmaster flash record mm-hmm. and we had just finished listening to like cliff Gallup for like three hours and my friend said check this record out and he put on the message and that was it and i get i get chills even thinking about hearing that record for the very first time you know wow yeah i know i'm wandering but anyway that's what growing up in berkeley will do to you i think
0: uh, yeah i mean but it's such that and all the acid <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's such such a diverse setting, you know, but I mean, that was the whole reason for it, I guess. It was, you know, a freewheeling open place for people to be themselves and explore and do do all those things. Did you have any any people showing you anything or are you picking up everything
1: on your own at that time? Um, No, no, everybody played. Which I'm sure it was similar for you in 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 florida where you were right like everybody kind of played
0: nobody my age played and if they did they only it was you know heavy metal peak time so anybody my age who played guitar only cared about heavy metal um so yeah that was that was like my biggest frustration and maybe part of the reason i've ended up where i am because it forced me to seek out outlets to play and it was always with old guys and, you know, maybe if I would have found young guys to play with, I would have ended up in a different place than I am now,
1: you know? I, I think know. definitely. Definitely. Because that's the thing. You have that older, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Aesthetic, you know? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, aesthetic um, is not, that's not, that's too superficial of a word. But you know what I'm saying? You you have you know that imprinted. Yeah. And that's, yeah. dude, that's the real shit. That's what you give to the next generation, you know
0: yeah yeah so you so you had a bunch of guys everybody played and you're i guess you're egging each other on kind of you're you're trading secrets basically hey show me this I'll show
1: you that you know uh, yeah totally and everybody like the Berkeley High Jazz Band I was like the third string I didn't even make it okay and and there was a guy who was uh, orthodox he was orthodox Jewish guy And he was really good, this cat named David Markowitz. I remember his playing because he could comp like a motherfucker. Like, he was great. And and they said, well, you know what, man? If he can't make a gig like on the Sabbath or whatever, we'll let you. (laughs) But they said that knowing that they were never, ever going to play friday after sundown to <laughs> so they knew and then my other friend eric dinwiddie was the other guitar player and he had a band called the uptones which at that time in the bay area they were really big they kind of influenced a bunch of bands like green day and rancid and stuff like that okay, yeah. um uh, and, and and anyway but everybody took guitar lessons from joe satriani and he was just the local guitar teacher so You know, you would all take lessons from him, and then you'd all get together, and he had shown everybody something different. (laughs) You know, like he didn't give a damn about, he didn't have an agenda, he didn't have a, well, let's say this, he he had an agenda, and his agenda was he was damned if you were going to take lessons from him and not learn how to physically navigate the instrument, you know? But other than that it was just like oh okay what do you want to learn? You want to learn James Brown? Cool. All right, I'm going to show you this or or do you want to learn this subject cuz dude he he's he has that dude has a much broader musical experience than his resume would would let you think he does. You know, and um it was he's a he kicked our asses, you know. So everybody would just be like, "Okay, did he show you this? No, he didn't. Show, okay, what did he show you? You know, we'd sit in the hallways, and everyone would pass a guitar around, and you know, that kind of vibe. You know,
0: well, that's great that he did. He didn't have a syllabus. You know, he he just had you like everybody coming in and working on what they wanted to work on while still giving them fundamentals. You know, that's the best. Yeah. That's the mark
1: of a great teacher.
0: Right?
1: But he also was kind of. Um, he, he was kind of zen in his approach because he would find some shit he knew you were weak at and then give you something that was really cool that would excite you so you could work on it.
0: Yeah, wow.
1: You know? Wow. And dude, he took me like, I mean, I guess I was pretty good at that age and, and I was a bit of a fuck up too. Like It was kind of like he was my, if I didn't have that guy to kind of like put me in my place, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and get me excited and interesting, not interesting, interested about um, following this path. Like that was the first time I liked that something clicked. Like, wait a minute. If I play this guitar for six hours, at the end of the six hours, I'm going to know the solo to Sultans of Swing, you know? And I'd be like, okay, that's amazing, you know? And that clicked. So he kind of took me under his wing and he would take me to all these gigs you know and he took me to um his band he had a band called the squares that played and uh and he took me to see alan holdsworth when i was like 14. and it was at the keystone berkeley bro and i was like the front row these giant marshall amps i'd never heard anything like this man i was totally blown away and also mystified i'm sure i looked like a cow watching a train go by you know (laughs)
0: And that's pretty fucking hip. How, how long did you take lessons from him?
1: Not that long, really. A couple years, I think. Yeah. Because wow. it came to a point where he was like, you know what? You, you have a specific direction you need to go in. And basically, like, all the stuff I'm showing you now, it's not going to really help you. So you need to go and you need to dig into these records. You need to find your own direction kind of this way you know wow
0: man sounds like a really centered grounded guy i don't know him i never met him
1: oh you don't know him oh man he's a really good dude
0: yeah yeah seems like it yeah that's yeah yeah
1: so when did gigs start happening for you was it around that time yeah you know um I started playing and like I had my own little rockabilly band called the Grease Monkeys. And so we did gigs, the Grease Monkeys, right? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then from that, I started to get gigs with older guys, um, all kinds of things like playing fifties music and weddings, playing like Motown stuff, which was a challenge for me because of the harmonic stuff. I was kind of clueless, you know? Um, and then various and sundry things just played a lot with a lot of different kind of people you know yeah
0: when did you know because we all have that moment when did you know like this was it like this was your path and you know i don't know did you go to college at all i don't know the answer to that
1: no No. I, i mean i went i went to laney college in in oakland which it was a great community college, actually. And I went there for about a year and I took um, like arranging and theory and a bunch of stuff. And there were great teachers there, Elvo DeMonte and Ed Kelly, who were kind of like two real Bay Area heavy dudes. You know, I think the Tower of Power guys took from both of them. And and, um, it was a heavy, really cool experience. But, you know, just a junior college, I mean, I really didn't have any money I didn't have any grades. And I also, I didn't, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing because I did cause my mom was just so brilliant, but uh, there just was never a, a point where it was just like, Oh, how do I apply to college? Like I didn't even understand that process. Like I was such a street guy. Like I didn't, what do you do? You have to 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 fill out some shit and take a test. And I was barely going to high school, you know? So I didn't really do that. But, um, you know, and, and, and I, I think I was about 16 or something when I was like, this is like the best thing ever, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I can relate to that 100%. And it was, you know, my parents were super supportive. My grandparents, you know, uh, Jewish family, my grandparents were not very happy about me not yeah. going to college because it was pretty much determined by the time I was 16, I wasn't going to college. You know I mean? I was digging yeah. so much and, you know, I just knew what I wanted to do. And they were not happy, but my parents were always really supportive. You, your parents—I mean, like you said, your mom's really brilliant. Your dad, you know, they're they're hippies too, though. What did they? What was their opinion when when you know they realized this was going to be your life?
1: Um, it's the same with me. Like I had Jewish grandparents as well from my mom's side, right? And they're just their mentality is like you know. I'm sure it was similar with yours, you know. And I didn't even grow up in the religion or anything like that, Mm -hmm. you know? But, you know, they're like, man, our parents came from the old countries. They worked in the needle trades all day, like Mm -hmm. never saw the sunlight. And, and we, they did all this so that, you know, we could get a little further ahead and, and then we busted our ass so you could a little, little further ahead. And now this is what you're going to do with it. Yeah, Yeah, similar. I think a similar kind of thing, honestly. But my parent, my mom, she was like, whatever you know she was fine i mean what's she gonna do she was she was a real um kind of black she not black sheep, but she definitely was iconoclastic you know she had she had her own path that she walked so so what can she say yeah well what can she say but if i got two out of order with shit which i did she would let me know you know and then if i got even two out of order for her then the police came and i got to be a part of the big brother you know the big brothers big sisters thing i had sure. a big brother which was awesome it just so turned out my big brother was like a, a pot smoking hippie jew intellectual really you know really? Wow. uh yeah yeah it was all it was i got really lucky man you know really lucky with with all that stuff but but you know a man at that point it's just like oh you're doing something uh creative and productive that occupies the majority of your time this is a good thing continue
0: it's amazing how it comes full circle too like you know i'm sure your grandparents dealt with it with your mom you know uh, how they deal with that and she's got to deal somewhat with you also not be hypocritical because of what she's gone through and 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 let you do your thing and i mean I, i on some level my son you know he's a more successful than I've ever been. He's an actor. He's been in a yeah. lot of cool stuff. And, and at first, I was kind of really ambivalent against the him being an actor thing. But he made it very clear, even as a really young kid, how much he enjoyed it. And I started to realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. I knew how much I enjoyed what I was doing when I was 10, 11, 12. It would be the most hypocritical thing for me to say to my son, oh, you can't possibly know what you want to do you know yeah, as a kid yeah 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 absolutely
1: no i i i feel the same thing and you know like with my kids it's you know you just it's natural as a parent you worry about your kids you hate to see them making the same mistakes you made stuff like that you know i mean i just think it's it's just pretty basic for for parents to yeah. do that kind of have that thought you know
0: yeah man so all right so you're playing gigs the grease monkeys you're playing gigs with with other bands 50s bands at different things um when when does it become like you know self-sufficient when does it become like the your real job where you know you're starting to find a lane for yourself
1: yeah well you know i kind of when i was about 19 i i didn't really have any prospects i was just working like jobs you know moving furniture, digging, actually digging ditches, like stuff like that, you know? And, um, you know, just not in a great p- place in my life, you know, and and a friend of mine, this French dude who I, I who moved to the States for high school. Um, interesting, he's an LA guy. He was one of the first guys we knew to save up his money and get a computer. And he started doing animation on it. This is back in like the mid or er, early to mid eighties, right? And, uh, and then he's he was working for Sony Imageworks for years, doing all, like he did like Polar Express and all those kinds of movies, like heavyweight dude. But uh, at the time, he was like, look, man, I'm going to France because my sister's apartment in Paris is, is gonna be free for a month. So if you can save enough money, you know, you can come and stay there for a month and get started and you could play on the streets over there. So I did, I saved up enough money. I got a mouse amplifier. And I remember I had a George Benson ten. Remember those Ibanez guitars?
0: Absolutely, GB ten.
1: Yeah. And, yeah. And and um, I went to Europe and I had way too much stuff because you do that when you're like 19 years old. You carry way too much shit. And by the time I got there, her place was great. It was it was like 120 square feet or something, you know. And so I and I was there for a month. It gave me a head start. I learned to play on the streets. I met all these incredible people you know, um, that are still my friends today, people from, from Africa, people from Caribbean, uh, people who Roma people, Americans, Canadians, Swedes. And over the course of three years, I mean, it was rough the first kind of six months where I didn't really know how to do it. I was playing on the cars and the metro and um, learning how to do it. But man, I was a street musician for like three years, playing like, honestly, man, 12 hours a day. Like just playing all the time, and uh, and I made when we when we finally got to Zurich, Switzerland, we actually started to make good money, man, you know, like <laughs> actual money. And um, I mean, I did that. After that, I went back to Berkeley because I wanted to learn a little more. I went to the Laney College, like I said, and then I was working at Subway Guitars. Um, I was teaching guitar. I don't know how qualified I was to do that, but I guess I was doing it. And um, at that time, Michael Franti worked there. Alvin Young, Bud Hart worked there. And Alex Skolnick worked there. Yeah. It's a, You know, it's a little place. We all worked there together. So we had this nice community. And Michael Franti had just gotten a record contract. And he was like, hey, man, do you want to tour with my band? And I was like, I don't know, bro. Like, you know, we were doing duo stuff. Um, and but he had this band. And it was like, I don't know. It's, I'm trying to learn how to play like Joe Pass. I don't know if I can, like, do this stuff, you know. But, you know, so I was in that band for a couple of years touring. And then after that, I mean, that's how, you know, I made my living. And then after I quit that band and then started playing kind of with my own groups around the Bay Area, you know, so I don't know, probably 20, 22. But then I always had shitty jobs in between because I would make a choice like this isn't the music I really want to play. So I'm going to have to downgrade my economic situation and get a job doing whatever so that I can practice and take my thing hopefully to the next level you know
0: when do you start uh, writing tunes
1: mm. man i mean i think all the time i was writing a little bit here a little i'd get like a shitty little sad melody in my head that i thought was the best thing since swiss cheese Write <laughs> too many chord changes around it you know what i mean Of course. Uh-huh. um but then when i got with uh jay lane and dave ellis we had a really fun trio and the bay area was just popping at that time man it was like the energy was in the air we had such a scene there man i mean and the music just kind of wrote itself honestly man it was it just i didn't do anything special you know i just just came and i just threw it out there we had tunes you know
0: yeah well man even before you started playing the instruments you play now, do you feel like something was kind of pointing you that way? A lot of the time, was it part of the playing by yourself on the street a lot, the music that you like and and love the different styles and the, the melding of that, you know, was something pointing you there? Or was there like a, just an Mm. absolute pivot moment?
1: You know, you're, it was, it's exactly right. The first, like slowly, all the music I came ar- up around, playing on the street, you know, having to sometimes be self sufficient. And also, I got really into Tuck Andrus around that time. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of like late 80s. And that shit tilted my, the axis for me, man. That, that completely changed my whole way of thinking. But it also, unbeknownst to me, I think, at least consciously, it was part of a continuum. You know, that like all that blind Blake stuff and Yeah Robert Johnson and Joseph Spence, you know, Joe Pass, Tuck Andrus, it all is a part of a continuum, you know. Absolutely. Um yeah. so that I think kind of started that germ happening. And then also another part of the whole continuum was I you know, I grew up in playing a lot of drums and a lot of bass. I mean, when I was first a street musician I started playing with this group and the guitar players were too good. So they're like, dude, you can play bass. And and they provided the bass and it was a K plywood bass. Mm. I think the action was like that high. Yeah. I'd never played acoustic bass, maybe once or twice. I, I fucked with one, but nothing big. Before I knew it, I'm out there. My hands are turning into hamburger. Of I have my fingers yeah. taped up. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what I was doing, you know. Um, thankfully, the music wasn't super challenging and I could actually execute like the stuff, you know. But um but it was just all part of a continuum, you know, and and I got a fat dog at Subway. There was an old Vega archtop guitar that had like a wider neck and I was like, man, I really want to play seven string like I, for some reason I just wanted to have that extra low note, you know. Yeah. And um I guess it was just a sound I was hearing and then he's like, "Well, we can make one out of this, you know? So they made me kind of this guitar. And then I connected with Ralph Novak a couple of years later, who was also a Bay area guy. And anyway, and that's when my misery began. <laughs> do you remember what, like what the first gig, you know,
0: without, without a bass player, do you remember it?
1: Man? Well, I was doing a lot of duo stuff with Michael Franti on the seven string. So that kind of st- prepared me in a way, but you know, you've done those gigs where you're also kind of really having to provide a lot of rhythm, the counterpoint, yeah. Yeah. even some backbeat kind of stuff. Mm. That's different than playing with a drummer. Oh and yeah, it's totally different. Yeah, a totally different. And then when I started playing, it was with Jay Lane, who's st- one just one of the baddest motherfuckers. I mean, he's the guy who, when we were fourteen, he got that seven 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 ninety three eleven record. And was like, check this out. I learned how to play this beat. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he's just a he, and, and super musical, and pocket for days. I mean, I, I just like feel like I almost owe him a pol- an apology every year for dealing <laughs> with my sad ass. You know, for those oh, couple man. first couple years that I was learning it. Um, and you know, it just he and Dave and I. That was really when I really started to to do it. Um, And it was really helpful that I got to learn how to do it with someone like him that had that much pocket, you know? And then, you know, I couldn't, I was doing a lot of regular guitar gigs at the time as well, but at that point it kind of took off. And honestly, man, I wasn't really good. And then I was just fucked because I had a career doing it. And then I had to like double down. And then I started realizing, shit, I have a career at this thing and it's nearly impossible. Like, what did I do? Why am I doing this with my life? You know? Um, And then it just slowly turned into something where you could just play something uh, more chill. And, and but you remember that time, right? You remember like the early nineties to the mid nineties, late maybe late nineties where chops were at a premium, right? Yes. Do you remember playing gigs then? Uh, Absolutely.
0: I remember playing, I mean, there was, yeah i mean there were a lot going on you when when i first heard you it was like a it was i was less taken not that i wasn't blown away by the fact that you were playing both things at the same time but if someone wouldn't have told me that i was more impressed by the music itself like what you were choosing to play and the groove oh, going on you. you know like that because it was like a breath of fresh air compared to what was going on at the time
1: Oh, wow. I appreciate it, man. I mean, the funny thing is the whole time I was always thinking like, man, if I don't play all my shit, they're going to ask for their money back, you know? Well, well yeah, Especially
0: in the audiences as you're playing in front of the rooms you were going to the label you end up on. You know, they, yeah, they're expecting, you know, a, yeah. a blower, you know what I mean? Yeah. Without exactly.
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I was just like, man, I hear some of that stuff. I'm just like, Wow. <laughs> Maybe if I played a quarter of the amount of notes and my groove was stronger. But look, man, you, you can't. It's all part of the evolution, you know. And 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 you can't just be like, I'm going to practice for another 10 years and then take my shit out to the world. It doesn't work like that. The world is no. part of that equation.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, dude, I remember from your first records and then you did the, um, fuck, the, the Natty Dread record oh yeah, yeah yeah when I heard that I felt like when lively up yourself came on it was like because to me the way you treated the tune and the Leslie and, and the whole thing it was like whoa I felt like wow you had taken it to another level because you were playing simpler than ever you know what I mean oh and it right blew on, me man. away yeah
1: oh thank you man, thank you, man. yeah I, I mean I think I just came to that point where it's just like okay what do you want to do here you know so so basically that started that thing that i know you went down that same fucking road where you're like okay let's start putting heavier and heavier strings on the instrument to yeah. not not allow not allow for that kind of shenanigans you know
0: yeah did you i mean you knowingly did that right you were you were you were handcuffing yourself to some degree
1: i think so you know and and also like I just started to realize just like, I guess it's just part of the evolution. We all go through it. You know, you're like when you're, when you're young, when you're a young man, you're like 22, 23, you're just like, you're like a fire burning in every direction. And there, there is, mm-hmm. if you aren't the highest urine spot on, on the fire hydrant, you're doing something wrong. You know what I mean? I think there's that energy and I think you kind of have to go through that. And, um, you know, and I kind of feel for, for people who I don't know how you feel about this because we both of us know a lot of like really kind of famous star people, you know. Sure. And, and you and I are not those people. We're like maybe we maybe more people like we're just like above the postman in terms of celebrity, right? Just right, a few exactly. more people know us than know the postman. So exactly. we have a lot of we have a lot of latitude to do lots of different shit. Those people we know that are big stars, man, it's just like, talk about the scrutiny they face. And, you know, someone comes to see them, they expect that specific thing every time. And it's like, man, you're 60 years old playing music you played when you were 25. I mean, that's that's so hard, man. I, I just can't imagine trying to play the shit I was playing when I was 25. I'd have a an aneurysm, you know? <laughs> man,
0: when did you feel like, I mean... This is a loaded question, but do you remember like feeling like it clicked at a certain point for you personally, like all of a sudden it all lined up and like, wow, now I'm not just like flying by the seat of my pants. And like, like you said, having to invent it as you go along when it became just like I I found it like this is now I'm in it like what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm doing it the way I hear it.
1: Well, not yet. I, and I'm being honest, I really am. You know, it's it's a matter of really trying to. I'm getting there though, you know, and I and I keep trying. It it's really more like coming to terms with what the instrument wants to do, and and meeting it there, you know, like it's like it's much, you know, more like for. Can you hear that? Yeah. So, you know, back in the day, you'd I'd always want to play something like super like fast and crazy with as much shit. But now I realize I'm just like, man, I think I like just doing shit that's just like... Uh... yes i do <laughs> and dude but 20 years ago i wouldn't be caught dead playing something like that was that intentional you know mm-hmm. yeah um uh. but you know the thing right you you come to the point where, where it's just like okay you i gotta really come to terms with with what this instrument wants to do you know sure
0: and i know and, and i know you you know through your experience and level of you know knowledge You're hearing a lot of stuff all the time like we all are you know i know you're hearing it so it's it becomes like you said intentional what you're doing you know you're making choices and playing in in like a more not streamlined because i i don't like it when you know it's all less is more and all that no it's really what you're feeling and hearing you know
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: in spite of all the knowledge you have
1: right you know and 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 that's the thing, like, I think this year has afforded me, like, uh, the ability to, like, time to play a lot of drums, a lot of percussion, play a bunch of bass on things, and then even playing, like, just straight up regular guitar in this organ group has been a real uh, learning thing, because it makes me, it's a certain kind of freedom that this instrument doesn't provide. Of course. So it shows, it shows me, like, Okay, you don't need to go for that on this instrument, because you're not going to get it. Right. So don't go for it.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Yeah.
1: You know? Wow, man. Wow. I don't yeah. know. It's a, just a weird thing, Josh.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you you have a, it's your thing. So you have this close relationship, and I who knows how you feel about it every day, you know, whether you yeah who, I don't know how you look at it. would you look down and, and go like you know yeah, this is my thing or do you just feel like a guitar player who adapted into this other thing? I don't know how you view it from you know inside
1: you know that's such that is really a fucking great question that has never been asked and and it's very prescient because I feel like because it was my career move, I had to put so much of that intensity into it you know and you know how it is especially when you're young like you want to plant your flag you want to let your plant your fucking flag right otherwise why are you doing it you know Mm -hmm. um but it's taken me a long time and i think i'm just starting to realize that it's again it's part of a continuum like the drums bass like regular guitar percussion and this instrument, they're all, to me, it's all part of a continuum. Like they're all, and each one does, like, it's like looking at a graph where like, well, what does this thing really excel at? You know, and you see each one and this thing, the more I play it and the more I play other shit, the more I realize that this thing really has the job of, if you're doing it right, nobody notices. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And I think for us as guitar players, musicians, that's a really hard place to get to.
0: Yeah, yeah. And without question, you just stated the most impressive thing about what you do to me is the times that I've listened to you or especially seen you live. And for moments, long extended moments, not even thought about what you're doing and how ridiculous it is, motherfucker. And just been like, get out, just in it. You know what I mean? Because it disappears because it's just music. And it's like, dude, that's, that's, I think the most mind blowing thing about you.
1: Oh man. Thank you. And that's encouraging to me because that's what I'm trying to work on. Like, for instance, I just did this record with Corey Fonville and, and, um, DJ Harrison, and man, where those guys hear the time, it's on such a high level. And where they hear the groove and where they put it, the quarter note, that's the future. You know, these guys are like 30 years old or something. And the way they hear it's so, like it really made me reinvestigate my shit. Like feeling like, man, I'm bunching up my quarter notes too much. I need to open them up a little bit more you know, wow. and and that fucked my head up. It was like the same thing as when I played with D'Angelo and Questlove back on the, that Voodoo thing. I thought oh, I was cool. the neatest fucking thing since Swiss cheese, you know, and it's like 96 sure. or 97, and I went in there and I'm just like, no, I'm not even fucking Velveeta at this point, man, you know? It <laughs> was, were, were you with, around
0: Raphael during any of those sessions, or did you guys never cross on that stuff?
1: You know, the crazy messed up thing, is we're from the same area. Sure. And I realized, and I knew one of the Wiggins guys because we used to hang out in the same guitar store all the time. So we would just yeah. be playing guitar or whatever. But I I started hitting on Blue Note at the same time that Tony, 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 I think got big. Sure. And so we were never in town at the same time to like meet each other and hang. And I remember always thinking, man, I have to go hang with these guys i have to meet jubu and i have to go make this hang you know like what the hell and then i think right when i was about to start hanging out with those guys i moved to new york you know what i mean um but his name rang out (laughs) sure sure yeah but what was was it like you you played with him for a while right oh yeah
0: yeah i played with him for years yeah i mean it was you know speaking of jubu so when i when i got called by Raphael, he was calling me for for what i do well which was he was getting ready to put out these records that were more motown and stacks and that's that's a bag that i'm very comfortable in and that i've done my homework in so that's why i got hired for the gig but then there was all these other tunes we had to play that were jubu parts you know what i mean yeah and i that was not my bag you know so it was
1: it is now (laughs) mind-blowing
0: to dive into jubu you know and and then get to know jubu too and play some gigs with him and be around him i actually realized not even knowing it that when i first moved to la jubu was literally one of the first fucking people i ever met and i had no idea who he was we played together at a blues jam we had both just moved to la and yeah i had no idea who he was absolutely no idea and we would see each other around town and it 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 wasn't until i started playing with Raphael that i realized that's the same guy you know what i mean (laughs) talk about a treasure he's a fucking treasure yeah
1: yeah he's he's really incredible that guy um you know and that comes back to me to that guitar vernacular yeah you know and there's so much knowledge that's passed down obviously from generation to generation there's so much of that what people used to call gospel guitar right Mm -hmm. and then of course you grow up in the bay area you're gonna get everything else as well Mm -hmm. you know so it's all in there and it's really like he's another one of those guys that when you hear him it's really hard to ignore because it has that balance of the visceral and the intellectual yep a hundred percent you know a hundred percent you know, yeah. and, and like, I you know, Isaiah Sharkey, he's a buddy of both of ours. And, sure. and he's he's coming from that universe as well, you know, yeah, um, yeah. In, in many ways. And, and there's just something about that kind of guitar playing that to me is just kind of like, you know, what is the guitar supposed to do, Josh, right? Like what kind of like, what is it supposed to do, right? And, you know, you think about people that, that use the guitar to its fullest, like someone like Charlie Patton or blind Blake or Joseph Spence or blind Willie Johnson, you know, you think about like, well, what the, what is the guitar supposed to do? You know? And you hear guys like that play and you go, okay, well, they figure that out. (laughs) They figure, you know, and, and, uh, there's just something about like, I could listen to that all day. I could listen to Cornell Dupree like all day and still be
0: like, wow. I do listen to it all day. (laughs) <laughs> you know
1: i listen every day it's
0: every day i listen to cornell dupree or or charlie patton you know or yeah fucking lonnie johnson or bb B. king Woo! or albert it's all i do is listen to those guys it's my been my the story of my entire life you know and yeah yeah like you said what's the guitar do they all found what, what's been most inspiring to me about it, my whole process and path is is every one of those guys that we love I just hear when I listen to all of them, I hear that they found what it was supposed to do for them. I hear just honesty. That's that's it. Yeah. the main thing I hear is, whoa. Like when I listen to Johnny Guitar Watson, you know, it's like fuck. He's playing at the best of his ability with the best Tony could have gotten and the gear he could have gotten, the most individualism he could have got, while also still being yeah. yeah. obvious that he listened to Guitar Slim and BB King. Yep. You know. Yeah. And yeah and it's so honest to me that that's, that's been the number one goal of all time for me, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I hear it, man, when you play and, and it's, it's that kind of, you know, deep we we get what we get from our surroundings. Right. Sure. And then you got to do that kind of deep dive into all this other stuff. And I know sometimes, man, I just was not ready. You know what I mean? I wasn't ready for, for, to, to deal with, um, Charlie Patton. Cause that's what my mom was playing around the house. I'm just like, I don't this, I don't need to hear this. You know, yeah. I, I need, I need to hear, you know, John Schofield or, or, you know, I don't need, to, I'm not ready for this right now. And See, then there I came a the time backwards. when I was,
0: I was backwards hundred percent to you. I was listening to that or listening to Otis Rush or whatever. And then I heard Robin and I was like, I don't want this. I don't want to hear Robin yeah, yeah. and John Schofield. They're not bending enough fucking strings for me, you know, or it's right, too right. much. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah weird.
1: <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. But Meanwhile, you know, did you, I mean, we all, yeah. Did you see Robin in the Bay Area a decent amount? I did not, man. Um, Because it was an age thing. Okay. He, I think he moved to yeah. LA yeah. before I kind of came of age. Sure yeah um, but you know the Bay Area people that I did get to play with that were maybe even a little older than Robin, like guys like Mike Clark who's kind of a been a big influence uh, and a teacher for me mm-hmm. um, and then you know a guy like Eddie Marshall, who's a great uh, Bay Area drummer at the time. Um, and there were a bunch of older kind of Bay Area people that were part of that, I guess whatever you wanted to call that kind of East Bay kind of scene sure. they taught me to play ahead of the beat and make sure every 16th note was played at all times
0: <laughs> oh man that is yeah that's some east bay did you ever cross with bruce foreman up there
1: oh yeah i mean but he was again he's older than me sure yeah but he was uh, i think he's probably about 15 20 years older. but boy he was just like yeah i mean he's still the guy you know Oh yeah he's, um,
0: he's, he's the guy
1: Yeah, I wish that I had gotten lessons with him. But I just don't think I do do about
0: one every year or two with him. I'll just go. And it's not a lesson. I just we're friends. So we hang. But I make sure to to, uh, every hour and then make it clear to him. I don't want to hang. Show me something, you know, the best teacher I've ever met. Like he's an insane teacher besides being the best fucking bebop guitar player walking the planet. You know, Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's a special cat, special cat.
1: Yeah. yeah he sure is it's the only other guy that i think that i played with that has that kind of feel like who's like really a jazz was a jazz guitar player was yeah. ernest wranglin oh. um and dude he's like a real people don't think this about him because usually the milieu they're used to hearing him in is either you know he plays like with acoustic bass and like a jazz yeah. tri- trio but it's usually in a reggae situation or something like that, man. He's one of those guys. That's like, he was like the house guitar player at Ronnie Scott's for a while. Mm. And he's one of those guys that like Scott Amidola's grandfather, Tony Catuso. like they know all of the changes for all of the songs from when they came out, none right. of our bullshit that we try to put on them. Yeah. Like they know the actual shit, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, crazy.
0: Dude, before we uh, get into the 10 questions, I'd be remiss if I did sure. ask you a little bit more about the D'Angelo, because people are always interested in it. So you, you never crossed with, with Ray
1: during those sessions.
0: He wasn't there when you no. did any of your
1: stuff. No, I wish. I wish I had met him. I met um, Greg Fillengames and, well, Russ Elvato, who was engineering it, of course. Yeah. and d'angelo and Questlove, and the manager at the time dominic but i didn't i didn't really meet anybody else i don't think
0: interesting interesting i because I've, I've asked Raphael a lot about he doesn't like to talk actually about the, the voodoo record and, and that stuff so it's it's not easy to get him to talk about it but yeah i don't yeah. i've never gotten straight story for him on it other than he'll talk about untitled you know, and how it was to the, to him like a joke. How far back they could put the bass. You know what I mean? But
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and you know what's funny, man. People are always like, oh man, how, you know, those like young drummers will come up and and will be well, they play, it. and they'll want to play something like that, and they'll be, <laughs> and I'm like, just so you know. I can't play like that. That was Pro Tools.
0: <laughs> yeah, they changed. They, 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 they got everybody with that. Everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, they did, man. They did. And I remember, you know what's so funny? It's like I had a cassette tape of those sessions. And my band was on tour at the time. And I said, man, you guys got to check this shit out. This is pretty fucking dope. And I remember playing them those sessions. And they're like, oh, man, this is killer. And then when the record came out, friend of mine called me up he's like man they fucked your shit up bro <laughs> <laughs> that shit sounds terrible man amazing oh man
0: but yeah change fucking music change music unreal
1: yeah the avant-garde yeah. really honestly
0: yeah I, and you know what's funny is about that stuff too is i think people like you said drummers just automatically go to the certain place if you really pay attention it's the bass. i mean quest is pretty straight on that record, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you have to have something as a guidepost to make the other stuff have impact. Yeah. Right? Huh. If you don't have that right on the beat thing going on, when you have the bass playing pretty far behind, yeah. It's going to lose impact, you know.
0: No, 100%. 100%. Did you know when that was going down? Did you just think, oh, this is killing, and you left? You, you probably, did. You know it was going to be like a big fucking deal.
1: No idea, none. No idea. Yeah. I mean, it was just another thing to do at that time, and I had, I was so busy then because I had records out on Blue Note and I was touring, and you know. Um... Oh yeah, like but when I that record of... came
0: out, it was a big deal that you were on it. Like you, you were. It was known, like, oh, Charlie Hunter's on the record. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Really. Uh, Fuck yes. I remember clear as day when that record came out and me and my friends talking about it. Like, dude, do you hear Charlie Hunter's going to be on the new D'Angelo record? Yeah. Oh,
1: (laughs) wow. I guess it's a, it's just one of those things, you know, um, but in hindsight, I have to say, I learned a lot from it, from the experience, you know? Um, And I think, and it has opened some doors for me as well. I, I won't deny that, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah
1: amazing man
0: all right let's let's jump into the 10 questions cool number one when you first started learning guitar do you remember the first like riff or tune or chord change that when you got it under your fingers it was like the hook was set the spark was lit no going back like i can't believe i got this i figured this out
1: yeah it's like i said earlier it was that it's gonna sound crazy but at the time that tune was really famous the sultans of swing by the dire straits yeah and when i learned that solo i was like yeah like yeah. i had climbed mount everest in my 13 year old mind you know
0: yeah yeah i mean i can i can relate to that and actually you're not the first person to say that that's the tune you know really in these interviews that i've done no not at all
1: not at oh all. that's awesome that's fucking yeah. i love that
0: well then that's the answer to number two then which is what's the first solo you ever learned note for note <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a fucking unbelievable solo it's it's unreal it really is it really it's is so it's so musical
1: yep right. and i bet you and i can both sing it note for note right now if someone note made note for it. note
0: note for note Yep.
1: you know and absolutely
0: i think guys don't even realize when you learn a solo like that especially at a foundational time how much music you're actually learning how much you're yeah. learning to play through some changes that, yeah, they're diatonic, but still it's not a blues. You're playing through some stuff. You're spelling some stuff out. You're doing some technical things. Like you learn a lot from, from learning that solo.
1: Yep. It's so cool to hear you say that because that's how, like when people ask me about, Oh, this instrument, how hard it must be. I'm just like, well, yeah, it's hard in certain ways, but they're like, do you have any exercises? I'm just like, no, I mean, just learn a James Brown group. Because if, yeah. if you just learn something like, if you just like, you know, if you learn that, yeah. you will set yourself up to learn like 2,000 other similar tunes.
0: Dude, you're so right. Like, if you want to work on groove and play that stuff, just fucking learn James Brown. If you want to learn to play through changes, it doesn't mean you automatically have to start playing All of Me or Giant Steps or whatever. Fucking learn a Ray Charles song and listen to the way Fathead plays through the changes on something very simple like that. It'll take you 60% further overnight. You know what I mean? I'll
1: never forget that Fathead thing. (laughs) Just like, wow, that's so deep.
0: When I heard that literally the he on hard times he takes half a solo and Ray takes the second half but that first half was like it was like I I'd been given the key to the universe when I learned that da 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 to the four and it was like fuck I can play through any song now like with that yeah
1: yeah 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 yeah, absolutely. It's so true. Right. It's so true.
0: Number 3. What's the first thing you play and I guess it's different now cuz you pick up this instrument, but when you pick up a guitar or maybe it's different between the guitar and that instrument, do your hands just go somewhere automatically on autopilot?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think I always go somewhere to just find like I'll start with like a bass, a kind of a bass thing first, right? Like I'll just do some little shit like that, you know? And it's always like, I'm thinking about a root note. Usually my first finger hits it. Uh-huh. And then I just kind of take it from there, you know? And if you
0: pick up a six string, what, what is your first? Thought? I
1: always, every damn time, I always try to play some blind Blake shit and always end up embarrassing myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what key do you do the blind Blake shit in? C. Of course. <laughs> I was talking to somebody about this the other day, how insane all the open sea stuff is that these guys used to play and how it's a lost art. It's
1: such a lost yeah. art. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible, man. Yeah. And you think about what those guys were doing like their guitars were stretched to the cape the, the 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 far reaches of what they were capable of sound that they were capable of producing. Oh yeah. They're playing at the bridge to just punch as hard as, as they can. I, I just, dude, I would give anything to be even just five minutes in, like, a dance that Blind Blake played or just to see Joseph Spence play, Oof. you know? Yeah. Oh. And to hear what that really sounds like, you know? I, I couldn't imagine. I shouldn't wish I, for too much. I'm knocking on wood now.
0: Dude, I, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> I not want to make a golem. Dude, I couldn't imagine being in that situation. And, and hearing that, t- like to hear Big Bill Brunzi or something like that, like y- y- what it would be like, you know, like in a, in a room, like it, you'd have to just be in a little room. Yeah, I think back to like, you know, Sun House or Ro- Robert Johnson playing gigs, which obviously they did. What really was that fucking like? I can't even imagine.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally, man. Totally. Oh, uh, hang on. There we go. You should come back now. Sorry. Yep.
0: All right uh number four i, I th- probably have a good idea of what your answer will be to this but what groove key style just kind of always lives in there when you're when you're on you know idle it's so like for me obviously i'm i'm when i'm cooking eggs when i'm driving if i'm not listening to music there's pretty much a shuffle going on in my head most of the time like I, i'm hearing That's a shuffle you... and I'm, I'm blowing over it in my head yeah. But for you is it yeah, like more yeah. of a straight eighth note thing? What do you hear all the time?
1: Man, that's a great question. I think I'm hearing I think usually what I'm hearing is probably like um you know, I'm hearing some vibe like that. You yeah. know, and maybe sometimes it's a shuffle for sure. And then sometimes it's like a boom, sack. You know, like a kind of a second line vibe. It's, it's one, it's either like a shuffle, a second line vibe or some really stinky kind of Mike Clark Oof, feel, man. you know? Do, do you ever
0: pay attention to like what, what the first thing is you hear when a piece of music comes on that you've never listened to before? Where do you, where man. do you go first?
1: Like you're talking about like if you hear something for yeah, the very I... first time.
0: Well, I, I, I go through periods, so, like, when I listen to music for the first time, something comes on I never heard, I have, like, three three thought processes. One is, from my time doing a lot of sessions, normally it's what, what would I have played or what would I add to what's here, you know what I mean? But as yeah. in parts yeah. plan. The second one is, like, analyzing always the groove first, like, what's going on on the groove. And then the main one is I just normally start blowing over whatever it is in my head. Some sort of improv is going on, you know? But yeah. I've been trying to come more cognizant of which is the first thing that, that I that I think of when, I, when a piece of music comes on, you know?
1: Well, I'll tell you, for me, for sure, it's the drums, always. Yeah. Yeah. Everything begins and ends with the drums for me. That's how, when I'm playing with someone, even like, if I'm just playing regular guitar, it's always about the drums. Yeah. I, have to, that, I have to be connected with the drummer's feel and, and, and their beat, whatever their beat is, I have to, to get into that and deal with that in terms of like, hey, this person ha- has this really cool beat and how can I not fuck this up? You know, how can I get in there and and groove with them so we can create something really cool together from a, a groove standpoint? So for me, it's always the drums, man. I always hear the drums first, you know? Interesting. Yeah, I believe it. I believe Even it. if it's someone who's just playing, mm, kit, mm, kit, mm, kit, mm, you still feel a certain feeling from just those quarter notes, you know? Immediately. You
0: immediately right. start feeling. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then some drummers, like, look, man, guys like us, we spend a lot of time playing with a click, which is great. And I love the click. The click is my friend, right? But when you're playing with a drummer, you're not playing with a click. And, and the beauty of it is you get to, to know this person on a really weird, intimate level mm-hmm. because you have respect for whatever their journey was. And some people have, we all have like really peculiar shit going on in our human DNA and our experiences. And it's going to come out in all of these weird, unexpected ways. And that's the fun part of it, I think, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you know how that is? Like some drummers like a dude i play with like george Slupik, man he's so memphis man i don't know if you've ever played shuffle with george
0: i haven't played with him no but i've heard him play on on different with different people and with you and other things yeah.
1: you have got to play with him you guys would hit it off musically mm-hmm. he's got that memphis thing i mean howard grimes is kind of his his mentor mm-hmm. and yeah. the way that he plays it's like that and i remember like playing like with george and and feeling like, man, why is this motherfucker dragging? Why is it, you know? Then I listen to the music back and I'm like, oh my God, why was I making his life so miserable? You know, (laughs) (laughs) his groove is so deep. It's at the back of the beat, but it's right where it needs to be. It feels so good. You just have to get, you know, it's, it's, I, I always just try to tell people like, if you're on a bandstand and you feel weird, it's probably you. Probably. Yeah, probably. You know, it's not the drummer. And even if it's a drummer that you might think you don't like you still have to get where they are. You still have to listen to them and do what they're be, be in be in their universe, you know.
0: Well yeah. I mean they're they're the center of the universe on the bandstand without question.
1: Yeah. Oh, amen. Amen. So when you play with a drummer like that
0: in the studio, like say George in the studio, do you listen to the click? Or do you just listen to him?
1: I just listen to the drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends. Like I feel like uh, I think a good like if you if you play with the drummer, you play with a lot. Let them listen to the click.
0: That's what I. That's that's my goal at all times is to play with guys where I don't have to listen to the click because I know right. who they
1: are, and I could just play music and trust yeah. them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, because look, you and I. Our time is really good, our feel is really good, okay. but we're gonna have a really different translation of the click than a great drummer that we play with is. Mm-hmm. And my feeling is like, I wanna be working from their translation. Yep. Like when I read the Iliad, I don't want my translation, I want someone else's translation who knows what they're doing, you know? Exactly,
0: yeah. I try to get away with, the only time I will listen to click in the studio is if I have to play unaccompanied, you know, that's it.
1: Otherwise, nope, not happening. Yeah, good for you, good for you, man. That's the way. Uh,
0: This one's probably completely self-explanatory, obviously, but normally number five is, when do you feel like you started to find your voice on the instrument? Well, it's obvious, you, you know, you've got an instrument that's completely personal to you. So let's take it a step further. When do you feel like after you switch to your instrument, it really became yours.
1: Hmm. Man, like I told, like I said earlier, I mean, I, I feel like I'm still really working on it, you know, but it's, it's a evolution. And I feel like I'm constantly peeling away layers. And every time I peel away a layer, it's just like, make it simpler, make it simpler, you know, um, in your live show, so do you group. play
0: tunes from from your very earliest records
1: now? No, oh no.
0: Okay, that's what I was wondering. So, if you did, you'd play them what? Uh, totally different now.
1: Totally differently because this is such a different instrument I'm playing now. Well, true. You know, different tuning. Way. Um, back then I was using those tape wound strings, which are super light. Like you get away away with a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like the wash tub bass of electric bass, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
1: yeah yeah you can get away with a lot you know so um yeah and people say hey man can you get that old trio back together I'm just like man I'd have to get that old guitar and and I know who has it John Mayer has that old guitar I'd have to ask John Mayer could I borrow that guitar I'd have to relearn how to play all that shit I probably learned something from the experience too but
0: yeah yeah crazy all right number six what do you consider your biggest weakness on the instrument?
1: Mm. Trying to do too much.
0: Really? Well, that's interesting to me because it's like, you've already handcuffed the fuck
1: out of yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But within that handcuff, like I shouldn't be struggling. You know what I mean? <laughs> the handcuffs are just on. It's like, dude, the handcuffs are on why are you struggling you're handcuffed to a fucking chair there's only so much you can do you know why are you struggling you're making an ass out of yourself you look ridiculous oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> do you
0: feel like when i mean obviously now we're never on tour so who knows i can even remember the feeling but <laughs> do you know you remember like the feeling four gigs in do you get that feeling where you can do no wrong and then go past it until you're doing too much
1: yeah, um, you know, I really don't get that to that point with this guitar, because it's just so fucking hard to just make music, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah
0: I can imagine. I don't know what you mean, but, the, but I can imagine.
1: But, you know, the way I feel about it is like, I always think about it in terms of a band dynamic. Like, how is the music sounding? Is this band really fucking killing? good, all right, I can I can work out my, my my own selfish shit later. If the band is just great, then I'm good, you know?
0: Mm. Wow, interesting, man. But you still find yourself trying to do too much?
1: I think so, you know, I, I mean, but the past year playing a bunch of regular guitar and all this other stuff, it's really shown me, I think I've gotten that stuff out of my system you know? And, and it's, it's funny, man. I mean, I'd be happy just to be like, you know, call me for the gig. I'm happy just to be, you know what? I'm happy to do that. Yeah. And, or whatever the groove happens to be, you know, you, you know, you know what? I'm happy to do that. I don't, Need to take a solo or anything, right? But then I, I feel like people want to hear me take a solo, so then I kind of take a solo, and then the groove isn't as good, you know.
0: So <laughs> That's I, just I don't physics, know, man. man. That's just
1: physics. <laughs> yeah, I just don't think it. It can only go so far. At least I, I, I found some answers. <laughs> they weren't the ones I wanted to find, but.
0: <laughs> All right, number seven. Who's a huge influence on your guitar playing or whatever that people would be surprised to hear? Like maybe mm, on your, mm. your improv, who's who's a giant influence that people would
1: be surprised to hear? Bobby Previtt, I, I think.
0: Oh, all In right. terms
1: of improvisation, I've learned more from him about improvisation than probably anything else. Wow. Just the deeper concepts of improvisation Not even, nothing to do with playing over changes or stuff like that, but actual pure conceptual improvisation. Really? Yeah, like total free and kind of like, you know, compositional improvisation. I learned more from that guy, I think, than probably anybody else. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, this, this one. And he actually has he has a, a a Patreon where he does his like he does these improvisation workshops. They last for like a week. They're oh, like really? a full day. Yeah, it's it's insane, man. How much shit he's got going on, you know? Definitely in, investigate it if you if you have a chance.
0: I will, I will. That's a uh, inspiring. All right, this one also self explanatory. Would you? Re- on a fly gig, would you rather be stuck with a great amp and a shitty guitar or vice versa? A great guitar and a shitty amp. Well, you can't do the gig unless you have
1: your guitar. Yeah.
0: So I guess that one answers itself.
1: And dude, I mean, I just used to get so upset. Like, you know, you show up to this gig in a really nice place and, and I have to rent a bass amp and a guitar amp and you show up and it's like a bass amp is like a like a 100 watt, like Amp with like a 112 speaker, and the guitar yeah. amp is like a twin with like two JBLs in it, oh, and God. and <laughs> and eventually you just I just came to the point where it was like okay I guess I just got to get used to this shit you know mm-hmm. yeah. like I don't think I'm I think you just have to get used to it you know yeah
0: yeah see for me it's the amp is more important but I'm not as re- obviously relying on the instrument like I you know it's not doesn't make the gig if I don't have my right guitar.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 no I feel you you know I did a gig I did a tour with Bobby Prevett where I was playing just regular six string guitar right and um at the time I really didn't have one you know and so wow. uh, I was like hey man let's backline guitars also because I was like this can be the best thing I don't have to carry a guitar with me on a European tour yeah and it was an interesting experience man because the best guitar I played was like, probably like a $300 Korean made SG copy. And the worst guitar I played was a 1964 Stratocaster. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Who yeah, knows, you, pro- you know?
0: Well, you probably enjoyed a little bit of the, you know, crapshoot aspect of it.
1: It was cool. It was really fun actually.
0: But you more enjoyed than not having to carry anything.
1: That was the best part. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right uh number nine what keeps you so motivated man to like push forward and, and get better it's uh something i i admit that i i succumb to a lot is like that thought of like I, i'm i gotta learn something else i gotta keep pushing i'm sucking you know and i gotta i gotta i'm obsessed with like being better tomorrow than today like what, yeah. what keeps yeah. you on that track
1: well, like we all are, right? I mean, that's how we're we're kind of yeah, it's built, how we end up where we are. You know, and we all have a different way of kind of finding our way to, to what we think is important in terms of in our our um evolution, right? Um and for me, it's been trying to get my groove better. Just simple stuff, like really like I got this cocktail drum kit and I've just been working on that for the last month. Like every day I come out there, I'm just like, look, man, it's one drum. It's got a bass drum on the bottom, a snare drum on top and I have a funny little 14 inch cymbal. I'm not, nothing's going to make, I'm not going to impress anybody. Let's really deal with the groove and the, and the feel, you know, because every time I listen to like stuff that I played, like made a record, like, It better feel better now than it did two years ago. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like the feel better be more happening because I don't think, I I think I could get to a point where I do need to learn some more counterpoint. But I think mostly what I'm looking for is just to play simple parts on the low end and the high end and just make it feel better. Make Make it feel good enough that somebody wants to play with it you know yeah yeah
0: yeah you found your recipe you're just improving your recipe every
1: day oh right on man that's a great way of putting it yeah yeah very cool. yeah i think i'm going to use that all right there you go. I just it was it's my the secret
0: there you go it's my go.
1: my secret recipe it gives you salmonella every time
0: every time yeah.
1: <laughs> i don't wash the cutting
0: board sorry no. Uh, 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 oh man all right well then number 10 do you have like a five-year plan are you a guy that sets goals are there really specific things that you want to accomplish in your career and, and just in general or are you more let's see where it goes and you know I know you put in the effort no matter what so is it more fly by the seat of the pants or do you set serious
1: goals I just see how it goes. I just fly by the seat of the pants, really. I mean, I'm just trying to get enough, just basic skills together. And I'm, I'm, I'm really seriously honest. I'm not being like trying to be like falsely modest. I'm just trying to get enough basic skills together so that when I get in a unknown situation, I hopefully have something I can offer, you know. Yeah. Um, so that it it goes. I mean, in terms of like career stuff. I mean. You've been doing the same as me. I mean, I've been driving in laps around the States for 30 years, man. I I don't know how much farther you get as like a guitar player, like in our game, like what's the next thing, you know, I kind of, so I'm happy if if I could just get a gig playing at like my local laundromat or on my back porch, I would do that. (laughs) And just to be able to wake up and, and work on, the music all the time. I get to hang out with my friends like you and talk about this and learn new shit. You know, um, yeah. have my values questioned. Uh, I mean, not like right now, but you know, that's what we do. We kind of like, hey, you know, if someone will say something and maybe it's something you haven't thought about. It actually does throw you for a loop. You know, you have to go back and listen to some shit or whatever it is. That's sure. That's the shit that makes me excited, man. Like the the community. And the fact that right now, everyone I know is working on shit and, and I don't want to let them down by not working on shit too. You know? Yeah. Uh, That's a healthy attitude. That's all. That's all I have. I mean, some days I let them down for sure. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's, I mean, that's a very healthy attitude, man.
1: Very much. I guess I guess so but you know how it is man it takes a long time to come by that stuff you know
0: it does but we're old now
1: especially so, yeah. especially with the Jewish DNA man like that stuff is deep regardless of what we want to believe about it or not that's like that's it's a deep you know what's thing. funny
0: about it I don't know about your upbringing but mine is I, I'm so not scattered but I'm so like two people I can be so incredibly motivated When it's the things I care about and I can be so incredibly lazy when it's anything else, you know what I mean? And that's part of being creative, too, I think. But yeah, it's like I I'm like, literally. I can I hate to admit this, but it's like I could be sitting in the house thinking about a project that I'm in the middle of and not even hear my wife or my son talk to me you know what i mean and, and not, they're speaking right to me and it's just i don't even hear it, you know because i'm yeah i'm like too yeah i don't know
1: whatever you're in it but when you, you you grew up did you grow up in like a observant household or no i mean we yeah we you know we went to
0: synagogue i had my bar mitzvah like all that but it wasn't. Yeah. We weren't very religious. We didn't go to synagogue yeah. every week or anything like that, you know. My grandparents yeah. were more religious than my parents, but I mean, we had you know Passover dinner and and you know all that yeah. stuff, and we went on Yom Kippur, you know, and lit candles and the whole yeah. So yeah, I'm, I mean, I consider myself a Jew, you know. Now yeah. since since I became an adult, I'm much less of a Jew, you know what I mean? Yeah, because I you know, but yeah, like my son. I is think people
1: like. Yeah, people like you and I were jewish. Yeah, ish. <laughs> <laughs> like you know there's all of that stuff like cuz I didn't grow up in the religion at all. I grew up with like the cultural lefty kind of New York Jew thing. Yeah. And uh, but that's part of the culture. You know what I mean? And and I oh, yeah. think that that's a very Jewish thing. And it took me a long time to realize that even though I didn't have a bar mitzvah, I didn't uh, do any of that stuff. And then I, in my life, I'm always finding myself, how do I always find myself hanging out with these Jews? You know, what, what's happening that, to me? That is
0: a really interesting <laughs> thing, because so many of my friends are Jewish. And and our friendship has nothing to do with the fact that we're Jews, like literally zero. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah so it is, that's an interesting point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, right. same here. It's crazy. It's a trip. Uh.
0: All right. Well, dude, we made it to the end of the 10 questions. We this was it.
1: great, man. This dude, is awesome.
0: <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. I mean, it's been
1: a really pleasurable oh. for me to hear your story. I love I love it. Oh, me too, man. This is a ball. I got to go on. Is this on your Patreon page that you do this?
0: No, this will be on YouTube and as a podcast. And then Okay, great. Uh, so so for rulers, uh we'll be back with the turn two. If you're not a ruler yet, Please subscribe to my channel or become a member, become a ruler. Um, it's greatly appreciated. But, yeah, yeah, so basically it'll be on YouTube and as a podcast. And then this little thing we do after it, that's for the members, which instead of doing Patreon, I have members on YouTube.
1: Got you, got you. Because they oh, oh, cool!
0: a Patreon-ish kind of thing on YouTube. Oh,
1: right? they did. I didn't know that. Oh, cool. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right. Well, rulers, we'll be right back with the turn two.
1: Thanks, Charlie. (laughs) Right on.